service. Maybe we'll do a couple uh, favorites, Just, but, uh, but, but we want to tell them, I'll let you tell them, we want to do something to perk them up, because I thought they were a little muted. Oh, yeah. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. All right. okay. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come and be in your house tonight. Lord, we do thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, we want to praise you for the way that you have answered prayer in so many, so many of our lives, in our church. And we think of Patience Thompson, Lord, such a miraculous answer to prayer. We thank you and praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. And Brother John's going to lead us in a couple favorites. Uh, <laughs> But he's got some qualifications for him. He's going to run by you. Um, qualifications are something to perk you up a little bit. So, Is that the word you used was perk? Yeah. Perk. yeah. Up tempo. Up tempo. All right. Anybody got anything there? Yes. When we all get to heaven. When we all get to heaven. Okay. We can do. Are we doing first and last, Pastor, or just the first? <laughs> first and last. All right. First, first and last. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus.
Yeah, just a little bit of a pause there for a second. Okay. Louie, I saw your hand before we went to the offertory. So what did you... I'll fly away. I'll fly away. Okay, we can do that one. And George, I saw your net. I saw yours next there. Okay. All right. I'll fly away. Some glad morning when the sun is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's western shore. I'll fly away, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away in the morning when I die,
difference between the song we just sang that was written by Wesley and the previous songs in church history? Anybody know? It's good to learn these things once in a while. Yeah. So tell them the difference. I don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. So, so Wesley wrote during the church age would be considered high church hymns. But the other songs we were singing were written more in the era of Ira Sankey and D.L. Moody, Spurgeon. They were all called revival songs. So a lot of the songs that we sing that are up-tempo songs, they came from the mid, late 1800s, early 1900s revival songs. The old songs that go back to Wesley and all of those, they were, are more called high church songs. But anyways... Thank Just you. thought I would toss Glenn, that out there. Excellent, excellent. A little, little song lesson. <laughs> I loved it. Let's, let's all stand. Let's make this one our last song for the evening. We're going to stand as we sing this one. This one's hard to sing sitting down, so we'll sing this one. But I'm going to do a key change, okay? So we'll sing the first verse in a lower key, and then we're going to move it to an upper key, a higher key as we go to the, uh, to the last one, okay? Really kick it out as we sing that last one there, all right? Okay. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea there's somebody out here. Elizabeth, stand up really good and loud. Tell people what the history of the it is well. The words were written by a man named Horatio Spafford. He was an attorney in Chicago. And right after the great fire of Chicago, his 
his wife and his three daughters, they were all going to go to England, but she and the girls went ahead on a ship and he stayed to finish taking care of some business that he had to do. And when they were in transit, they were struck and sunk by another ship and she sent him a telegram from England saying, saved alone. And he was uh, uh, associated with Philip Bliss, P.P. Bliss, who set it to music. And uh, Philip Bliss was also associated with the El Moody and some of those other people, right in that middle uh, 18s, late 18s. And so, so what he did was he went to Europe and on his way to England, he asked yes. the captain of the ship, I want you to stop where my where my daughters died. And he wrote that song in memorial of them at that spot and dedicated it to them. It is well with his soul. But you knew that. You did know that because we've talked about it. But I did not know he was a lawyer in Chicago and had gone through the Chicago fire. See, you learn something new every day. Isn't it great? I would like you to take your Bibles with me. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 through 12 is where we're going to go. Going to preach tonight or teach tonight. It's really a little bit more of a Bible study than an actual preaching sermon. But uh, my goal tonight in taking us to this text is to just remind us of how important Christian fellowship is. So Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 down through 12. It's a very interesting text. The structure of it, the way it's written, the way it's reflective, um, it all makes us to understand how important Christian fellowship is. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 down through 12. Then I returned and I saw vanity under the sun. And so can, I, can anybody tell me, what does it mean when, when the Bible talks about vanity? What is vanity? Emptiness, uselessness. Emptiness, uselessness, that's good. Anybody else? That is good. When you think of vanity, you think of the word vain. And when you think of vain, what do you think of? Kind of self, selfish, kind of self-centered. Kind of, as Elizabeth said, emptiness. And so when we come to this, right away he's starting off. He says, then I returned and I saw vanity. The foolishness of vainness. That emptiness of vainness under the sun. And now he's going to tell us what he saw. We pick it up in verse 8 down through 12. And he's going to give us his observation. There is one alone. And there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor? And bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. 
Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. As I was preparing for this and reading some commentary on it, uh, something was given in the commentary that I had never noticed before in studying this text. And that was that verse 7 is that observation of vanity. But when you come down to verses 8 down through 12, what the author has done is God inspires him. He's drawing from the experience of that day and age of a traveler. And I had never caught that before. That he's really tapping into the traveler's experience. And we're going to talk about that when we come to that part of the text. But verse 7, he really uses some interesting poetic language to bring us to a place where we see this vanity of being a loner. Being that person who doesn't need anybody else. I don't need friends. I don't need fellowship. I don't need church. I don't need community. I don't need anybody. I'm fine all by myself. And so it's looked at and it is said, I see this vainness, this vanity under the sun. And he builds upon it. When you go to verse eight, he says, there is one alone. And he could have stopped there. He could have just said that because really that's what he's going to talk about. He's going to talk about that loner, that one who is alone. But he's going to kind of help us to see it in a larger picture. There is one alone and there is not a second. So he kind of, it's like that person who sets a nail and then he really sets the nail. Maybe even gets out a little nail set and sets it right in there. He wants to drive home the point. He wants us to understand there is one who is alone and he does not have another with him. There's not another to take this journey. There's not another who he welcomes in, in fellowship, in companionship, in his journey of life. And each of us in our lives, we choose. We choose whether we want to have friends, make friends. You know, the Bible tells us if you're going to have friends, you must what? Show yourself friendly. Absolutely. You can, you can go through life and never make a friend. You'll, you'll live. You'll be okay. You'll make it. But it's a long, hard journey. Or you can be that person who makes good friends, right friends, wholesome friends, and you be a friend. But he's driving home a point. He says there's one who's alone and there's not a second with that person. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. He says, this particular vanity that I see, this life journey of this person I see, not only do they have no friends, they have no family. Now, not always can we control whether we have family. And certainly as we get older, one of the heartbreaks of getting older is your family starts to pass away, doesn't it? And I have known people through my years of ministry who have looked at me and said, I am the last person in my family. They didn't have children. Their siblings are gone. Their parents, their uncles, aunts, they're all gone. And they have looked at me and said, I am the last of my family. And that's hard, isn't it? You can't control that. 
but you can control if you have friends. Because as we mentioned a minute ago, if you're going to have friends, you have to show yourself friendly. But here he reminds us, this person is alone. They have no brother. They have no son. They are alone. They do not choose to reach out and to have friends and to connect with others. So he says, there's one alone. There is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. And this is the vanity of it. He says, as I look at this person who is this loner, who chooses to not bring anybody else into his orb of, of fellowship and friendship. Now there's also been circumstances he can't control. He has no brother. He has no child. But there is no other. And yet he works from day to night. Yet he works and labors endlessly to achieve, to acquire, to mount up all that he can possibly earn. And there's a question. It's really posed to us as a vanity. Yet is there no end of all his labor? And we're kind of reminded of the people in this world who never, ever have enough. No matter how wealthy they are, it's never enough. You know, the Bible reminds us that that which we have one day will be somebody else's. And so when you just mount up and achieve an amount, 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 and you have nobody that you bring into your sphere, nobody into your circle to enjoy it with, what do you expect to have happen? He's showing us the vanity of such a thing. I have definitely sat with elderly people before and said to them, use it, enjoy it. You worked for it. You earned it. Because sometimes as people get older, they sometimes get tighter and tighter and tighter, don't they? Maybe driven by fear, maybe driven by apprehension, maybe driven by memories of having nothing. And so now they hold on to it so, so very tight. Here a little while ago, I was visiting with an older gentleman and he told me, he says, Pastor, I want you to take this and I want you to take this and I want you to take this. And I looked at him, I told him, I said, listen, I'm not taking anything unless your children, if you have children, your friends, if you have friends, your neighbors, whoever's involved in your life has to know you want me to take this and bring it to the church. Because I'm not loading my car up with anybody's stuff and then have them think later, what happened? Or remember it wrong or somebody be offended. You always want to make sure you're connected to the whole circle of peers. That's how I look at it anyways, when those things happen. Here, he's talking about somebody who's just piling up riches. But he has no friends. He has no circle. He has no family. And it is an endless, bottomless pit that he is trying to fill. I want you to look with me at Proverbs 27, 20. Proverbs chapter 27. Verse 20. Look with me down here as it says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. It's a proverb that makes us step back and kind of ponder for a minute. Hell and destruction are never full, 
So the eyes of man are never satisfied. He's challenging us to understand the vanity of it. The vanity of never being satisfied, never having enough, never achieving that which would make you content. And he's likening it to hell itself, that bottomless pit that could never be filled. So here we have this person who has, um, they have nobody, they have brought in nobody into their circle, and they themselves are just never satisfied. He comes down into the second part of that as he proceeds down. He says, yet there is no end to his labor, neither is his eye satisfied with riches. I want you to look with me, if you would, over to 1 John 2, 16. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. It says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. It's interesting here, when he talks about this vanity of this individual who has brought nobody into his sphere of fellowship or his journey of life, and he connects it to this lack of satisfaction and that his eye cannot be satisfied. When we come to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it's kind of linked in that it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it is of the world. And you and I that are Christians, we should step back and we really should look at our lives. And we should understand that the greater joy of the things we have is the fellowship of others while we enjoy the things we have. A friend, a church family person, a family person, a neighbor, a coworker, or somebody who we connect with in the journey of life. We share life with them. And that's what he's saying here. There's a satisfaction in that. There's a hollowness in things. But there's a satisfaction in fellowship. So this individual, his vanity of life, his accumulation, his labor, endless, endless labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, my soul is... No, I didn't pick. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? He says, this person never stops and asks themselves the simple question, why am I doing this? And for whom am I doing this? Is it just for me? Well, the interesting thing is when it's only for you, that's a lonely place to be. When it's only for you, you really are alone. Not to ask, is there somebody else I can share with? Somebody else I can come together with? Is there somebody else I can bring in and be a part of? My friend, my neighbor, my church family, somebody. But he, he doesn't stop. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? He, and so the, the Lord says to us, this is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. And that's a powerful phrase the Bible uses. He's saying that this vanity is something that is a heavy 
a heavy sorrow upon the heart. And I do think that sometimes when we watch the news and we read articles about people who are incredibly wealthy, uh, sometimes you read in the paper where these uh, athletes who make millions and millions of dollars a year and they die of a drug overdose. And you ask yourself, why is this person who has everything in life, why does he need drugs? He's, he's, he's got a, a large circle of adoring fans lives in a mansion, has everything he can imagine, usually has wine, women, and song, all of that. But do you know what they're not, they don't have? Is contentment. And that's why they're chasing and chasing and chasing after these things. And so he says to us, he says, this chasing and accumulating, this lack of satisfaction within your heart and your soul, he says, it is a sore travail. You and I, there is a genuine value in Christian fellowship. There's a genuine value in reaching out to others and bringing them into your life and working and laboring and serving together. As we put together this project there at Field Days to do this booth, I had told the church multiple times, we're not going to do this if we don't have enough people to do it. And then they changed their categories and we kind of brought it into where we could do it. But one thing I wasn't going to do is just send one person over there by themselves day after day after day. That's not good. You know, even Christ, when he sent forth his people, sent them two by two. He sent them so that they would go forth and have fellowship, companionship, and even protection. That's what we come to the next part of this. There's real value in partnering with others. If you don't work well with others, learn to work well with others. If you don't play well with others, learn to play well with others. If you don't get along with others, learn to get along with others. They say the, the basic keys to life, community life, are learned in preschool and kindergarten. And Rachel and Jesse, who's out helping her sister, who's going through a bad time. You know what? They teach these little boys and girls how to work together, how to play together, how to get along with one another. Why? Because life is fuller when you can do those things. Amen? Amen. So he comes down here as he picks it up in verses 9 down through 12. And here we come to this part where it's a journeyman's lesson. And I had never caught up on that before, but it was very insightful as I read about it today. So, so I want you to visualize with me people who are journeying at a time when it was perilous to do so. You're not getting on a bus with a bunch of people. You're not getting on a plane with a bunch of people. You are journeying maybe through a wilderness or a desert, a highland or a lowland. But there's not a lot of people journeying. We, we have become so accustomed to high traffic. We think that that's how all the world has always been. And it's just the opposite. We are the odd generation. Starting in the 1800s, all of a sudden, mobility began to come about. We got train service. Then the next thing you know, there were cars. 
Now there's everything under the sun for you to get everywhere you want to be. But before then, it was not so. You know, the fastest thing there was, was a horse. When cars came about, they, they thought it was dangerous for people to go fast. And now we are rushing to and fro. But at this time in history, people didn't even travel by horse. Only the wealthy had horses. And donkeys were really a beast of burden. Not so much a, a means of transportation. People walked. So as we come to this, as we look at this, we understand that this is a picture of people in a journey. He says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And as I was reading the commentator, he said, you know, the idea was when you're on a journey and you're on a walking journey, by yourself, it's a lonely, long journey. You might think to yourself, well, I don't know, I like going on a hike by myself. And I get that. But you're going on a leisurely hike, enjoying the mountains of Vermont or wherever you are at. You're not doing your work on a journey. There's pleasure in labor with others. And here he is on a journey. He's on a working journey. And he's saying to us, there is, there is greater benefit there is greater blessing when there are two instead of one in this labor of their journey. He comes down into verse 10 and he's going to give to us the reasons why fellowship is so good for us. He says, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. And for you and I in our Christian journey, in our Christian walk, there's real value in having a Christian friend who when you stumble and fall spiritually, they reach out and help you get back up. They say to you, I'm praying for you. I'm concerned about you. I care about you. I'm here for you. That's the picture, the analogy of these two people on a journey and one falls and injures himself and the other reaches down and helps them get back up so that they can continue their journey. For you and I in our lives, there are times when we stumble, we trip, we fall, both physically and spiritually, and we just need a little help to get back up. And he says, that's the be benefit, that's the blessing of fellowship, having another. If you go a little farther down in verse 10, he says, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth. And how true that is, isn't it? I know that um, my mom, she's 86 years old, and one of the elderly men in her complex, it's all, it was an elderly complex, they had, the, this elderly gentleman had fallen in his apartment and nobody knew for days. Now he was still alive when they found him, but for days he had laid in his in his apartment by himself. Woe unto those who fall, who are alone. Now my mom, uh, I say to her all the time, mom, you gotta wear that button thing, because she has a button thing that she leaves at her chair. And I tell her, what good is that? If you fall in the bathroom or in the kitchen, you gotta drag yourself to your chair. No, you gotta have it on you. She don't like that. 
She doesn't like the button thing. But you know, a friend is kind of like a button thing. A friend, a family member, somebody, somebody who's near. You and I in our lives, there's great value in having Christian fellowship. So that when we stumble, when we fall, we can reach out. Look at what he goes on to tell us. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be warm alone? And as I read this text, it reminded me of Sandra, Joe, and I. We had gone down to Virginia, and we were doing some sightseeing down where Josh lives. And we went to some of the old, old historic buildings. And we went to one of the inns that existed at the time of the writing of the Constitution and all of those old documents. And we went in and they give you a tour and you go through. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, well, where's the inn? Where's the inn part? I see that where you say they ate and this is where they had the outdoor kitchen and all the, where's the inn part? And they said, oh, it's upstairs. So we go upstairs and it's a room, one room, one big room. Well, you mean everybody slept in here together? Yes. Everybody slept in here together. Were there beds? No. They had, they rolled up their things and they'd roll them out and everybody slept together. You know, we forget that we live in a generation that it's hard for us to grasp how people lived not that many years ago. Now you think to yourself, well, what about all the women? Women didn't travel. It was very unusual for a woman to travel. Men who traveled for business, they'd stay at this inn and they'd all hunker down in this one big room. It's like a camp out. And if they got cold, they got close. Now, see, for me, I'm thinking, not me. But I didn't live then. See, I live now. I just turn up the heat, get another quilt. I don't need to hunker a little closer. But he is really talking about the time they lived in and the circumstances of their day. And when they were on that journey, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? So in, envision people traveling. They're, they're, they're on a journey. They're on a business trip. They're maybe bringing goods or whatever circumstance. And there it takes them multiple days to walk to get to where they're going. This is not a hike. They're not just out having a leisurely time. They're walking all day to get to the next place, to get to the next place. And if they're not there, they have to sleep out there. That's why when you come to texts like Abraham and Abraham sees people approaching, he says, come, come and abide with, come, come to my house, spend a night here. It was the tradition of the Israelites. If they saw somebody journeying, that they would welcome them into their home. It was dangerous to be out alone. It was dangerous to sleep in the way. It was cold. And so here he says, by yourself, you're cold and alone. But when you invite others to come into your life and to be a part of your life, then when it's cold, you have warmth. You have somebody else there for you. 
your friend, your spouse, your children, your neighbor, somebody who you have a relationship with in life. Being a loner is not healthy. You and I in our lives, it's good to reach out to others. It's good to connect with others. So he says, again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be alone? In the last part, verse 12. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. And that was the greatest fear and the greatest peril of the ancient days was the robbers, those who would catch you while you were journeying and take everything you have. And of course, you know that even when we come to the Good Samaritan, what happened to the Good Samaritan? He was on a journey alone and people had beaten him and robbed him. And where did they leave him? On the side of the road to die. And then the text goes on to tell us how the different individuals came and even crossed the street rather than help. But the good Samaritan went over, washed his wounds, brought him to the inn, paid the bill to make sure this person was okay. Those who crossed the street and would not even have anything they were truly alone. That's an alone person, isn't it? That's a lonely place to be where you won't even reach out and help somebody struggling. We need to learn from the book of Ecclesiastes. He is telling us that there is a vanity under the sun. This idea that I don't need anybody and I don't, I don't want anybody. I'm just by myself and that's good enough. That's not. That's not good for you or me. It's not what God wants for us. He wants us to be connected to others. It's an interesting thing when you go to the book of Genesis and you see God create all the creatures and he creates all things. After he creates Adam, he says something. Does anybody remember what he said? It's not, good for, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. They need somebody. Now, maybe in your life, the Lord's given you a spouse. Maybe not. Maybe he's given you children. Maybe not. But there's always, you can always make a friend. You can always make a friend. But if you're going to make a friend, you have to show yourself friendly. Amen? That's such good common sense. But it's Bible truth. So you and I in our lives, no matter where we go, no matter where it takes us, we should look to make a friend. This, uh, this week I texted uh, an old friend. We, we have some plans together. It's supposed to happen in November and I hadn't heard from him in a little while. And I texted him, I said, hey, listen, are we still on for November? And he texted back, he says, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to be getting in touch with you pretty soon. But see, because he's a friend, I can reach out. And because he's a friend, he can say, oh, I'm sorry, we dropped the ball. And I don't care, because we're friends. You have to make friends in life. It is really what makes life better. Amen? Sometimes it's hard, though. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. 
but you just got to step up. That's our Bible lesson for tonight out of Ecclesiastes. Let's have a word of prayer. And then maybe tonight what you do, make a friend. Somebody here you could meet and greet. Is there anybody here who knows every single person in this room? <laughs> do you want me to put you to the test test? No, I don't want to. I'm not going to put her to the test. It's hard to know everybody. It really is. I have to work very hard at knowing everybody in the church. And even there are still people Sunday morning who I just don't know. There are people who come first time visitors or they come once every six months. I just don't know them. But it's always good to try to get to know others. So take a minute before you go. Meet somebody you don't know well. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we thank you that we could come tonight and just have fellowship. Enjoy singing. Singing old favorites and having a good time. Lord, we thank you that we can look into your word and be challenged. To step outside our comfort zone. To get to know others. and Build friendships. Help us, Lord, to do that. We thank you for your many blessings to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.